Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Welcome to Grace Crossing Church. This morning we wrap up our series, our January series, Money Talks. Um, Next weekend we're launching into a brand new series, um, backed by popular demand, God at the Box Office. And we're going to pick out some of the uh, key movies of 2017, and we're going to find the God theme uh, in those movies during the month of February. So we trust that you'll join us every week for our February series. Well, this morning as we wrap up the series Money Talks, I've been leading into each week's talk by giving uh, some kind of personal remarks as we lead into the week. Through the years, I've allowed my own deficits and my own fears of what people may think to actually keep me from really leaning into this series and into this topic uh, the way that I think God would want me to. Um, I think as I look back, uh, this is the first time in my pastoral ministry that I've actually done a series of messages on this idea of wealth acquisition and wealth management, and I'm actually kind of ashamed of that. I think I've been somewhat derelict in my duty to deliver to you all that God teaches and all that God's word says when it comes to this issue. As I look back on the content of the sermon content, and I've done hundreds and hundreds, thousands of messages, I recognize that the content of my sermons has been actually disproportionate to the amount of content there is in scripture when it comes to this particular issue. So here's what I confess to you today is that I have not shepherded well in this area. And for that, I need to ask for your forgiveness. Because I think in reality, I have withheld from you the goodness that God has when it comes to this issue. And I vow to you that moving forward, I will do a better job of making sure that I am bringing to you all that the Lord has to say about this particular area. And I ask you to, for your patience, I ask for your prayers, I ask for your grace, Uh, And I ask for your understanding as I find a better traction from my voice in this particular area. The second thing I want to say this morning is I want to give a word of commendation. For those of you here that have been leaning into this material, I, I recognize this is a challenging topic for many of us. But I want to commend those of you here this morning that have been leaning in to this material, and you've been bringing God maybe for the very first time into this topic of your wealth acquisition and your wealth management. And I know how challenging it is. It is difficult for us to come to God in prayer and say to God, God, what do you want to do with my money? Like the rich young ruler that we talked about in our very first week of this series, most of us come to God white-knuckled when it comes to our wealth. We are holding on so tightly to the security that we find in our wealth that it is hard for us to let it go and take hold of God's hand. Listen to what I'm about to say. Like a trapeze artist, before you can ever take hold of a new bar, you've got to let go of the bar you're holding on to. And some of us have been holding on so tightly in this particular area that it is hard for us to let go. But if we're going to really experience all God wants for us and all God has for us, we've got to let go of the security that we feel and that we find when it comes to our wealth. 
So I've been challenging us to have a, take a biblical posture when it comes to our wealth and our possessions. And a biblical posture is a posture of surrender. So there are four ways, as we talked about each week, that you can view your money. And we're going to review those once more this morning. I'm going to read the first of each of these, and I'd like you to finish it. Four ways that we can view money. First of all, my money. My money. God's money. And God's money. Listen, you will know that you have assumed a posture of surrender. When you're no longer asking God, God, what do you want to do with my money? And you're now asking God, God, what do you want to do with your money? You will know that you have reached that place of spiritual maturity where you are coming to God and you are saying, Lord, I recognize that this is about your money, your way. And so if we're going to have a kingdom mentality when it comes to our wealth, which really isn't ours, we've got to have four different things that are in the pilings, the foundational pilings of our spiritual life. In fact, I want you to think of these four words that we've unpacked three already, but I want you to think about these four words as the biblical underpinning to a theology of wealth, a biblical theology of bringing God into our wealth. So here are the three words that we've already touched on throughout this series. The first word and the first underpinning is ownership. Ownership. You might think of ownership as lordship. Those words are used interchangeably in the scripture. And the ownership issue really answers this. It answers the question, who owns it and who is in control, really? So when we settle the ownership question, uh, we recognize that everything we have is a gift from God. Everything belongs to God. And as long as we are continuing to bristle with that idea, we will take credit for our wealth and we will lay claim to things that do not belong to us. So when my kids were growing up, and I'm experiencing this a little bit now actually with my own grandkids. When my kids were growing up, I used to love taking them from time to time to McDonald's and I'd buy them their meal and I'd bring their meal and we'd be enjoying our meal. And then I'd say, I'd run out of my French fries and I'd say to them, hey, can I have one of those French fries? And they would say to me, they'd look at me and say, no, those are my French fries. Any other parent ever experienced anything quite like that? So let me connect the dots of this, okay, for just a moment. Let me, let me just connect the dots. I order the fries. I pay for the fries. I give to them the fries that I ordered and I paid for. I then ask them for one of them, and they respond by saying, those are my fries. When we don't settle the ownership issue, that's how we treat God. We say, God, it is mine, and I'm going to do what I want with what I have. But here's what Jesus told us. This is the number one Aim and ambition for our lives. In fact, it's a commandment. Mark's gospel, chapter 12, verse number 30. Love, notice this, love the Lord, your God, with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, and all of your strength. And we could add to that and all of your wealth. Because when God has all of our heart 
and all of our mind and all of our soul and all of our strength, we don't withhold anything from him. The ownership issue is is settled once and for all. The second word that serves as an underpinning for a theology of wealth according to Scripture is the word trust. So let me make another confession to you this morning. I have trust issues. Anybody else here have trust issues? It's not that I don't trust God. I have a tough time trusting people, but I, I trust God for the most part. And yet, this particular issue challenges our trust more than anything else. Do I really trust God or do I trust the security that comes from my wealth? The third, really, word that gives us this underpinning, this theological framework, is the word contentment. Contentment. I would submit to you this morning that the reason we have a country that is so far in debt is because people are not content. We are not satisfied. In fact, I would suggest that contentment is not just simply being satisfied with what you have, it's also being satisfied with what you don't have. And listen to what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 7. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. Here's what really that's teaching us. It's teaching us that we come into this world empty-handed and we leave this world empty-handed. We take nothing with us. So another way to say that and see that is, and think about that is this, that no child has ever been born fully clothed carrying baggage into the world. And no Hearst has ever gone to a cemetery towing a U-Haul. We, we, we bring nothing in, we take nothing out. And then there's a fourth word that we want to focus on this morning, and that word is responsibility. If we own nothing, if it all belongs to God, which is what the Scripture teaches, if God is saying, here's the challenge of trust, here's the challenge of contentment, then this fourth word, responsibility, is really, really significant. I mean, have you ever wondered, what is it when it comes to my wealth, what is it God is responsible for? And what is it I am responsible for? Those are important questions that beg an answer. And fortunately, Jesus gives us the answer in this week's Money Talk. The big idea of this entire series has been Jesus talked money because money talks. Jesus talked money because money talks. Money tells a story. Money speaks to our values. Money points to our priorities. Money shows the source of our security and the object of our trust. And so Jesus tells this parable where he actually begins to tell us and show us what God is responsible for and what we are responsible for. We're going to spend the vast majority of this talk on what we're responsible for because I think we have an understanding already in this series of what God is responsible for. But here's the parable Jesus tells in Matthew's gospel, chapter 25, verses 14 through 15. The kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. 
he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. There are two primary things that I think Jesus here wants us to understand about God's responsibilities. First of all, God entrusts. God entrusts. God is the one, that's what the Bible here suggests, is that God is the one who entrusts to his servants a portion of money. And I think it's really important for us to understand where that word comes from. It, the word comes from the word trust. It isn't just, do I trust God with my money? It's, can God trust me? And the greater degree of trust God can have, the more God will in trust his wealth to us. The second thing the Bible suggests here is that God actually portions and divides. God is the one who actually determines based on our abilities. Now, I think that's really significant because you may have sharpened your abilities. You may, may have honed in on your abilities. You may have gotten better with your abilities, but even our abilities are not ours to lay claim to. Everything we have and everything we do is really a gift from God. So every ability or talent that we have is really given to us by the Lord. And the Bible here suggests that God knows what our abilities and what our limitations are when it comes to wealth. There's a reason I will never win the lottery. I, I recognize, number one, I don't play it, but, but number two, God, I don't think could trust me with that level of winning a $458 million mega jackpot. I would not probably be a good person to win that. God knows what we're able to do. He knows what we're able to handle. God is the one who sees and apportions according to abilities. But there's something more in the parable, something really significant, profound that God gets to. Jesus here then begins to show us our responsibilities. When it comes to wealth, each one of us here have a personal responsibility. Let, let me say it another way. When it comes to wealth, each of us here have a personal response ability. We have an ability to respond to God the way that he would want us to. And Jesus here says in the parable, verses 16 through 18, the servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest his money and earn five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground. And he hid what? The master's money. The first thing the Bible suggests that is our responsibility is I invest. I invest. Now that's really important because what we often think of when we hear the word invest is we think of people that have a truckload of cash. Like the only ones who invest are those who have lots of money to store up and put away. Listen, investing 
It's not about having lots of money. In fact, quite the contrary. It is not simply about saving up for your retirement. Investment is about affirming your priorities. It is affirming your priorities and your loyalties. So every single time we actually spend our money, we are actually making an investment. Every time I walk into Starbucks and I order a Starbucks, I am making an investment in that organization. And you know how easy it is with the app today to simply pull up that app and go, oh, I'm on down to $2. I've got to go ahead and just hit the reload button and I'm automatically, I got another $25 or $50 that I can begin to invest into Starbucks. I mean, that's just reality. And you know what's so tragic? Is that if we're not careful and we're not aware of it, we will invest a lot more in Starbucks than we will the work of God's kingdom. Because we'll actually sow into that organization our hard-earned dollars. We will make investment. So we invest. Here's my second responsibility is I manage. I manage. I'm responsible to save. I'm responsible to give. This idea of managing is actually a very spiritual word in the Bible. In fact, spiritual management, financial management, according to the Bible, is what the Bible calls stewardship. And the word stewardship simply means that I am personally responsible for something that doesn't belong to me. So every th- so often in my life, I've gotten a tremendous gift. Somebody let me borrow a vehicle. Somebody let me borrow a timeshare. Somebody gave me a room in their home and said, you can stay here for a day or two. Every time I've walked into those moments, I recognize that I am now in a position of stewarding. I don't own it. It isn't mine. But I am responsible to care for it, and I will be held accountable for how well. I cared for it. And I don't know about you, but I am much more careful with things that belong to someone else that I am using than things that belong to me. And I think when it comes to stewardship, that's exactly the mentality that God wants us to have. You and I do not choose whether we are stewards. This is not a choice that we make. We don't decline being stewards or sign up to be a steward. The Bible says that we are all stewards, which means the issue is not whether or not we will manage. The issue is, will I be a good manager or will I be a poor manager? Will I manage God's affairs wisely or will I manage them foolishly? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse number 2 says, Now a person who is put in charge as a manager must be faithful. Stewardship is not a money issue. Stewardship is a faithfulness issue. It is all about how faithful I will be. And never underestimate the value and importance of being faithful with little. Because according to the Bible, your faithfulness in little things is a big thing. God actually cares for how well we steward the small things in our life so that he can then entrust more to our care. So we have a responsibility to invest. We have a responsibility to manage. 
And I want to say one more thing that may surprise some of you this morning, but I think we have a responsibility to become rich. Now suspend judgment on that until I unpack this a bit. But I think it is God's desire for every single person in this auditorium to be rich. Let me explain. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 21. A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship to God. In the parable that Jesus tells of the, the bags of silver, what was the problem with the final guy who got one bag? It's that he went and he dug a hole and he began to hide what he had. He began to cover it, protect it. Why? He was afraid he was going to lose it. And what Jesus here is saying is that we are a fool when we store up earthly wealth but are not rich in our relationship to God. So when I was a kid, I shared last weekend, I grew up in relative poverty. So when I was a kid, as a early elementary years, um, I remember just anything that I had, I did, I was stingy with it. Like I hoarded it. I, I protected it. I, I made sure I stewarded my Halloween candy for a year, right? I, didn't, I wanted to hold on to my stuff. Well, I grew up in a stone's throw away from a railroad tracks, and I would often walk up and down those tracks as a kid, early elementary, and I came across, walking down the tracks one day, gold. I was convinced that I had struck gold. I saw these rocks that were shining among all these dark rocks, and I began to pick up a pocket full of these, and And then I got buckets and I started to walk up and down those tracks and I was collecting all of this gold and I was taking it to my garage and I was hiding it away in the garage because I was confident that I had a plan to get rich. And that plan was that this gold that I had found was going to make me wealthy. Well, I soon found out that what I had was really just iron pyrite or what we better know as fool's gold. When it comes to our earthly wealth, It's like fool's gold. It deceives us into making us believe we are better off than we often are. It leads us to believe that we are more secure than we really are. It leads us to put our confidence in the stock market or in politicians or in investments and 401ks and 403bs. And the reality is those particular things can leave you empty and can leave you broke. There's so much lack of wisdom when we put all of our wealth in those things and we do not store up for ourselves the things that God wants us to. So how does God tell us to be rich? Well, it begins with an understanding that you and I already are. Here's what the Bible says in 1 Timothy. Paul the Apostle, verse number 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, Not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything, now notice this, for our enjoyment. There is nothing wrong with being a person who has wealth. There is nothing sinful or evil about being a person who has much that God has provided 
And some of us may read this here this morning in this auditorium, and we may say, I'm really glad that I'm counted out because it says, command those who are rich in this present world. That's not me. Some of you are here thinking, I am not included, so I don't have to listen to what this is saying. So last weekend, I need to retract a statement that I made. Last weekend, I said that when I chose to go into ministry, I recognized that it meant that I would never be rich. That's really not true. I am rich, and so are you. Because when we compare our wealth to that of the world population, nearly every one of us in this auditorium are living in the top 1% of the wealthiest people in the world. So, So I went to a website that's called the Global Rich List. And it actually shows you where you land in wealth according to the standards and the wealth acquisition of the world. And I thought, well, here's a couple of ways I want to look at that. First of all, I looked at the average income for Greene County. The average income is just over $60,000 in Greene County. And to drop $60,000 in the global rich list would put you in the top 0.19% of the richest people in the world. And then I thought, let me do it another way. Let me take the zip code of our church, 45434. It's almost double. So the average household income in this zip code, 45434, is $112,500. Average. Dropped it in the global rich list. If that's you, you're in the top 0.08% of the world's richest people. I even took the, the, the uh, poverty level for an, a family of four in Ohio. And the poverty level of a family of four, if you drop it in there, it actually places you still in the top 2% of the world's richest people on earth, which means 98 out of every 100 people you would pass. In the world, you'd be richer then. Here's what we got to understand, friends. We are rich. And we have been given so much by God. And what God is saying to us is he is saying, listen, do not put your hope in that. Put your hope in me. Do not store up for yourself so you're rich in your own estimation, but rather become rich in your relationship with God. And to do that this morning, there are four things God wants me to tell you. Four ways that you can live rich. Four things God instructs me to share with you this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 6, the next two verses, verses 18 and 19. Command them, those who are rich, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Do you want to be truly rich the way God desires you to be? Do you want to walk around knowing with confidence in your heart that you are rich in your relationship with God? Well, there are four ways that we can do it. First thing God wants me to tell you is is do good. Do good. So I remember um, 
certainly years ago, earlier in my life, when I would get asked the question, so how are you doing? I would often respond by saying, I'm doing good. And my teachers and others would correct me and say, that is not the proper use of grammar. The, the response is, I am doing well. So I used to work really hard to change that. I'm doing well. I'm doing well. But do you know what the scripture actually teaches? The scripture teaches that when somebody asks us, how are you doing? We may very well be doing well, but we should also be doing good. We also should appropriately be able to respond to that and say, I am doing good in the sense I am following what the Lord has asked me to do. I am rich in the way God wants me to be. The second thing the Lord wants me to tell you is to be rich in good deeds. To be rich in good deeds. I would suggest to you this morning that the richest, the wealthiest people here on earth are not the people that have the most money saved up. They don't have the biggest accounts. They don't have the largest number of accumulated possessions. The wealthiest people that I've ever met are people like my mother and father-in-law who've never been, had much here on this side of eternity. But they have used and leveraged everything they have to make sure that God is first. At the age of 86 and 85, they are still leading a small group in their home every Thursday. They are still inviting people in, providing the food, making sure that they are caring well for those that God provides them opportunity to have relationship with. They have been rich in good deeds. And because of that, they are rich in their relationship with God. They are some of the wealthiest people that walk the face of the earth. The third thing that the Lord would want me to tell you this morning is, if you want to be rich, be generous. Be generous. That's the third thing the Bible here suggests that we need to do. In fact, let me just say this. To become rich is to become generous. Because when we become generous, we become more rich. When you think about how you spend, how you save, when you think about your budget, let me ask you a question this morning. How much of your budget have you set aside for generosity? How much of your budget have you designated to be able to give to the work of God's kingdom? Now, if you're here this morning and you say, I've not done any of that, please don't feel guilty. Early in our marriage, we were there. We were trying to figure out, like, we loved God, we, we, we wanted to follow him with all of our hearts, and we knew that there were ways that we could do that. In fact, Scripture gave us some ways. Because what the Scripture teaches is that our giving should come in three different ways. First of all, there should be priority giving, which means I give to God first. I don't give God my leftovers, I give to God first. Secondly, there should be progressive giving. The Bible teaches that our giving should progressively increase as God blesses us. So we become more generous. We give more. And thirdly, the Bible suggests that our giving should be percentage giving. That we should give a portion of his resources that he has entrusted to us. We should bring them back to him. And so my wife and I decided early in our marriage when it was really hard. We didn't have two nickels to rub together. 
And honestly, we were struggling sometimes to make ends meet. But you know what? We said we are going to do the very best we can to put God first, to give priority, to give progressively, and to give percentage. And we said, you know what? The Bible teaches that we give a tithe. That just seems like a good starting point for us. And so we said we're going to give a 10% right off the top to the work of God's kingdom. Now, I don't want you to think of that as some spiritually or morally binding obligation that if I don't do that, I'm not going to get to heaven or God's not going to love me. That's not what it's there for. The idea of a tithe is the idea of us learning to put God first, trusting him. In fact, let me just tell you this. Tithing is really training wheels for giving. If you're here this morning and you think, boy, if I could just get to tithing, I would, I would be where God wants me to be. No, tithing is the training wheels. That's a starting point to say, I want to move forward in trusting God. And it's not an easy thing for us to do. The Bible, when it teaches about tithing, it's the only time the Bible says that we are to test God. Everywhere else in Scripture, the Bible says, never put God to the test. But when it comes to tithing, the Bible says, test God and see if he will not be faithful. If he will not open up the windows of heaven. I found that to be so true. And the second thing it tells us about tithing is that we are to bring the whole tithe to God. It does not say we're to bring our tithe. And it even doesn't say we're to give it. It says we're to bring it. That's a subtle but distinct important difference. Watch this. You cannot give what you don't own. You can only bring what you do not own. So the Bible teaches that we are to bring it to God. And this is an area I would encourage everyone here at Grace Crossing Church to pray into. To say, God, where can I begin to build generosity, giving to the work of your kingdom, into my priorities of my budget? The fourth thing, the Bible says we are to be willing to share. Willing to share. If you're going to be rich, that's the fourth thing God wants me to tell you this morning. Do good, be rich in good deeds, be generous, and be willing to share. Here's what I've learned, and I believe it to be true. I believe that in our lives, that the more temptation there is to want more or have more, the way that we should respond is to give more, to become more generous. In fact, the two gods that fight against the lordship of Christ in our life is the God of consumerism and the God of materialism. Those are the gods that we live with, that we fight against in our culture today. And I think the cure to consumerism and materialism is altruism. It is giving with no strings attached and with nothing in it for me. I get nothing back. I'm not looking for anything in return. I'm just doing it because I want to love God first. Here's what I believe. I believe that every one of us here are already economically rich. And I further believe that God wants every one of us here to be spiritually wealthy. He wants us to be rich in our relationship with God and to have all that he wants to give us for our enjoyment. It's a good thing. These are good gifts from God. But he does not want us to store it up for ourselves. He doesn't want us to simply dig a hole and plant it for ourselves. To bury our treasures in the earth. He wants us to sow them into eternity and into heaven. 
And so here's how Paul ends these commands. Verse number 20. Timothy, he says, very next verse. Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. That's really what the parable of Jesus was all about. I'm entrusting something to you. Now, Timothy, here's my advice to you. Guard it. Don't hoard it. That's not what the word says. So when you, think, when you hear the word guard, do not think hoard. The word guard literally means to watch over with due diligence. To be careful to manage well that which God has entrusted to you. Listen as we close this series to what I'm about to say. You are not responsible for the way someone else cares for what's been entrusted to them. But you are responsible to care for what God has entrusted to you. I am responsible for what God has entrusted to me. And I want to be found faithful. I want to be found faithful with the trust that God has made in my life. So here's what I want to do as we close. This morning, take the word Timothy out of there. Take his name out. Put your name in. I want you to think of that verse with your name there this morning. And I want you to turn it into a question. Gil, have you entrusted? Have you cared well for? Have you guarded that which was entrusted to your care? Put your name in there this morning and, and let God search you. And bring your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and everything that includes to God today. Say, God, how well have I, have I guarded? Have I watched over with diligence that which you've entrusted to me? There's nothing wrong with spending. There is nothing wrong with saving. But we must prioritize the giving and generosity that God says would be an earmark of those who would be his followers. Let's pray together. Bow your heads, please, and let me pray. Take just a moment, and I want you to ask yourself that question Lord, how am I doing with stewarding, with managing what you've entrusted to my care? Am I actually being mindful about making sure that I'm building in the budget and in my priorities those things that matter to your heart? Am I putting the work of your kingdom above the luxuries and pleasures of my own life? Am I making sure that I'm giving you my first and my best, not my leftovers? Would you stand please with me this morning as I lead us and pray a blessing over our church. I want to be a church here at Grace Crossing Church that is a rich church. Rich in the ways that God tells us to be rich. Rich in our relationship with him. I want to be a church that's all about putting his priorities above our own preferences. 
making sure that his will is accomplished in our hearts. So to that end, pray with me this morning. Father, I want to thank you today for giving us clear direction for how we can be rich. Thank you for helping us to see through your word the ways that we can not only steward and be responsible and manage well those things given to us, but how we can put the work of your kingdom first. We invite you, Lord, into this area of our hearts today that we would pray into and that we would bring you into how well we're doing at priority giving, how well we're doing at progressive giving, how well we're doing at percentage giving. What portion, Lord, are we giving to your work here on this earth? What portion are we giving to doing good, to being generous, to sharing, to being rich in good deeds? You already know our hearts, and you even know the struggle that we have in this area. So, Lord, we don't want to hide it from you or be ashamed of it. We simply want to bring it to you and say, God, help us move the needle in the right direction in this area. Thank you for being so good to us. Thank you for providing so much for us. Help us, I pray, as an act of our gratitude and appreciation to place you first in this area of our lives, we pray. We thank you for it, and we ask you to continue to stretch us, grow us, to become more willing to listen to you and obey what you're saying. We pray these things in Christ's name and for the glory of God the Father. Amen. Amen. Bless you all. Thanks for being here. Have a great weekend. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.